Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Storytime Madness. Today we're going to read pages 17 to 26 of Stave 1. That will then conclude Stave 1 of A Christmas Carol. So sit back, relax and enjoy. You may talk vaguely about driving a coach and six up a good old flight of stairs or through a bad young act of parliament, but I meant to say you have a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise with the splinter bar towards the wall and the door towards the balustrades and done it easy. There were plenty of width for that and room to spare, which is perhaps the reason why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive hearse going on before him in the gloom. Half a dozen gas lamps out on the street wouldn't have lighted the entry too well, so you may suppose that it was pretty dark with Scrooge's dip. Up Scrooge went, not caring a button for that. Darkness is cheap and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through the rooms to see if everything was alright. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody, nobody in the sofa. A small fire in the grate, spoon and basin ready, and the little saucepan of gruel. Scrooge had a cold in his head upon the hob. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room, as usual. Old fire guard, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand on three legs, and a poker. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in, double-locked it, which was not his custom. Thus he secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed, nothing on such a bitter night. He, he was obliged to sit close to it and brood over it before he could extract the least sensation of warmth from such a handful of fuel. The fireplace was an old one, built by some Dutch merchant long ago, and paved all around with quaint Dutch tiles designed to illustrate the scriptures. There were Cain's and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, Queen's of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like feather beds, Abraham's, Belshazzar's, upholsters, putting off to sea in butter boats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet that base of Marley, seven years dead, came like the ancient prophet's rod, and swallowed up in the hole. If each smooth tile had been a blank at first, with power to shape some picture on its surface from the disjoint fragments of his thoughts, there would have been a copy of old Marley's head on every one. Handbag, said Scrooge, and walked across the room. After several turns, he sat down again. 
As he threw his head back into the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell, that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose now, forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great astonishment and with a strange, inexplicable dread that, as he looked, he saw the bell began to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound, but it soon rang out loudly, and so did every bell in the house. This might have lasted half a minute or a minute, but it seemed like an hour. The bells ceased as they begun together. They were succeeded by a clanging noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Scrooge then remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise much louder. On the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards the door. Sambag still, said Scrooge. I won't believe it. His colour changed through, when, without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. Upon its coming in, the dying flame leaped up, as though it cried, I know him, Marley's ghost, and fell again. The same face, the very same, Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tight and boot, the tassels on the latter bristling, like his pigtail, and his coat skirt, and hair upon his head. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle, it was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed, closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses round in steel. His body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels, but he had never believed it until now. No, nor did he believe it even now. Though he looked, the phantom through and through, and saw it standing before him. He felt the chilling influence of its death-cold eyes, and marked the very texture of the folded handkerchief bound about its head and chin, which wrapper he had not observed before. He was still incredulous, and fought against his senses. How now? said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. What do you want from me? Much. Marley's voice, no doubt about it. Who are, who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? Said Scrooge, raising his voice. You're particular for a shade. He was going to say to a shade, but substituted this as more appropriate. In life, I was your partner. Jacob Marley. <laughs> can you sit? Can you, can, can, can you sit down? Asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. I can. Do it then. 
Scrooge asked the question because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair, and felt that in the event of it being possible, it might involve the necessary of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe me, observed the ghost. I don't, said Scrooge. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know, said Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because, said Scrooge, a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potatoes. There's more gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel in his heart by any means waggish then. The truth is that he tried to be smart as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror, for the spectre's voice disturbed the very marrow in his bones. To sit staring at those fixed, glazed eyes in silence for a moment would play Scrooge felt the very juice with him. There was something very awful too in the spectres being provided with an infernal atmosphere of its own. Scrooge could not feel it himself, but this was clearly the case, for though the ghost sat perfectly motionless, its hair and its skirts and tassels were still agitated as by hot vapour from an oven. You see this toothpick, said Scrooge, returning quickly to the charge for the reason just assigned, and wishing, though it were only for a second, to divert the vision's stony glaze from himself. I do, replied the ghost. You're not looking at it. But I see it, said the ghost, notwithstanding. Well, returned Scrooge, I have but to swallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you, humbug! As this, the spirit raised a fateful cry and shook its chains with such a dismal and appalling noise that Scrooge held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. But how much greater was his horror when the phantom taking off the bandage round its head as if it were too warm to wear indoors. Its lower jaw dropped down upon its breast. Scrooge fell on his knees and clasped his hands before his face. Mercy, he said, dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, replied the ghost. Do you believe in me or not? I do, said Scrooge. I must. But why do spirits walk on earth? And why do you come to me? It is required of every man, the ghost returned, that the spirit within him should walk abroad amongst his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. 
Woe, it is me, and witness what is cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. Again, the spectre raised a cry and shook its chain and wrung its shadowy hands. You are fettered, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chains I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I gurned it on my own free will, and my own free will I wore it. Is it pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or you would know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself. It was as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You've labored it in since. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced about him on the floor in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by some fifty or sixty fathoms of iron cable, but he could see nothing. Jacob, he said imploringly. Old Jacob, my, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, the ghost replied. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge, and it is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. And weary journeys lie before me. It was a habit with Scrooge. Whenever he became thoughtful, to put his hands in his breeches' pockets. Pondering on what the ghost had said, he did so now, but without lifting his eyes or getting off his knees. You must have been very slow about it, Jacob, Scrooge observed in a business-like manner, though with humility and deference. Slow, the ghost repeated. Seven years dead, mused Scrooge. All that travelling at that time. The whole time, said the ghost. No rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast, said Scrooge. On the wings of the wind, replied the ghost. You might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years, said Scrooge. The ghost, on hearing this, set up another cry and clanked its chain so hideously in the dead silence of the night that the ward would have heard have just justified in indicating for a nuisance. Oh, captive bound and iron double, cried the phantom, not to know the ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures, for this earth must pass into eternity before this good of which it is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it might be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunity misused. 
Yet such was I. Such was I. But you're all such a good man of business, Jacob. Flattered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business! cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was all my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and beneficence were all my business. The dealings of trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It held up its chains at arm's length, as if it were the cause of all its un unavailing grief, and flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of rolling year, the spectre said, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down, and never raise them to the blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the spectre going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. I will, said Scrooge. But don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob. Pray. How it is that I appear before you in a shape that you can see, I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. It was not an agreeable idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped the per... Condensation from his brow. That is not light of my presence pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of my procuring Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me, said Scrooge. Thank you. You will be haunted, resumed the ghost, by three spirits. Sh Scrooge countenance fell almost as low as the ghost had done. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? He demanded in a faltering voice. It is. I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visits, said Scrooge. Scrooge listened, said the ghost. You cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I just take them all at once, Jacob? Have it all, have it, have it all over with, hinted Scrooge. Expect the second on the night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to me no more and look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. When it has said these words, the spectre took its wrapper from the table and bound it round its head as before. Scrooge knew this by the smart sound its teeth made when the jaw 
were brought together by the bandage, he ventured to raise his eyes again and found his supernatural visitor confronting him in an erect attitude, with its chin wound over and about its arm. The apparition walked backward from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little, so that the spectre reached it. It was wide open. It beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. When they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand, warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped, not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear, for on the raising of the hand, he became sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of... lamentation and regret, wailings of inexpressibly sorrow and self-accusatory. The spectre, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful voice and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window, desperate in his curiosity. He looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and hither. In restless haste and moaning as they went, every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some few, they might be guilty governments, were linked together. None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had been quite familiar with one or ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to his ankle, who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. That misery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human manners and had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into the mist or mist surrounded them he could not tell but they and their spirit voices faded together and the night became as it had been when he walked home Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered it was double locked and he had locked it with his own hands and the bolts were undisturbed he tried to say I'm back but he stopped at the first syllable and being from the glimpse of emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or the, his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the latinus of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. Thank you for listening to this episode of Storytime Madness. That is the end of Stave 1 of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I'll be back to read you the next stave of A Christmas Carol very soon. But for now, it's bye-bye from me. Bye-bye.